0: Well, a lot of you are uh, reading along in the, the book uh, Radical, and uh, there's, uh, it's created some buzz and some discussions and maybe even some debate at times, and uh, I think that's a really good and healthy thing for us to have to think deeply about uh, what we believe and what God calls us to do. Let me just say a couple things about the book um, from some things that I'm hearing. Now, number one, I, I don't agree with all of his uh, doctrinal views about God and sin, And uh, you may find that you disagree with some of those things too. I don't think that uh, changes the overall principles that he's teaching. And uh, secondly, I think the author in the book, as you're discovering, oftentimes goes to the far extreme to make his point. And I think he's doing that maybe intentionally because, I don't know about you, but sometimes somebody's got to say the extreme to kind of get my attention. And uh, once I get my attention, then I sort of listen to the overall principle that they're teaching. And I think some of that uh, happens in this book. So uh, keep reading. Uh, Keep letting it uh, challenge you and stir you and cause you to ask questions. Uh, That's all a healthy exercise for us as long as we continue to go back to the ultimate source of truth is the Bible. And uh, that's where we find truth. I don't know if you've seen these pictures uh, floating around on the Internet. There were uh, two uh, churches, and if I understand correctly, and if this is true, in the same town that had this sign battle. I think it went over several weeks. And I don't know how well you can read these, but here's the first one. The Catholic Church in this town, um, Our Lady of Martyrs. Uh, put up, all dogs go to heaven. Well, the Presbyterian down the street, uh, church down the street put this response up then. Only humans go to heaven. Read the Bible. (laughs) Well, okay. So here was the Catholic Church response. God loves all His creation, dogs included. (laughs) Presbyterian Church the next week responded with, dogs don't have souls. This is not open for debate. (laughs) Catholic Church responded, uh, Catholic dogs do go, or go to heaven. Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. <laughs> Presbyterian church responded, Converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul. <laughs> to which the Catholic church responded, uh, Free dog souls with conversion. <laughs> Presbyterian church responded, Dogs are animals. They aren't, there aren't any rocks in heaven either. To which my favorite, the Catholic Church, responded, All rocks go to heaven. (laughs) Not sure about the theology of either one of those. I'm pretty sure that doesn't create the spirit of unity that Jesus prayed that His church would have in John chapter 17. And I'm pretty sure it doesn't create a sense of community. And for people who are Christ followers, people who are trying to live the radical life that Jesus calls us to live, One of our great needs to accomplish all that He's called us to is to be a part of a community. God created us to need community. And the community that He intended for us to enjoy is called the church. And it is a great thing to be part of a vibrant, life-sharing community where we uh, can be encouraged and supported as we try to live the, the totally abandoned, radical life that Jesus calls us to. And we've discovered that if you're going to live this life, part of what He has called us to do is to do our part in sharing the story of Jesus with everyone around the world, whether we pray or go or send. And here's the great thing. We don't have to do that alone. We do it in community. He has encouraged us that we ought to share some of the blessings that God has given us with those who are poor and needy and vulnerable. And again, I don't have to do that alone. I do it in a community of faith, the church. He has challenged us as radical followers that we ought to know God deeply. And the way that we get to know God, or the primary way, is through reading his book, the Bible, but guess what? I I have you around. We have each other to help us understand and apply and teach it. We don't have to do it alone. We get to do it in community. Now, when you look at Jesus and the story of Jesus, you quickly discover that Jesus taught the crowds, but His highest priority was pouring Himself into a smaller group of followers. He taught people in crowds, but He poured out Himself into a small group of followers, a small group of guys that we have come to know as His disciples. And you also discover that what Jesus taught and modeled about community got lived out in the early church that we read about in the book of Acts. And it got lived out there because these same guys that Jesus had poured Himself into, the same small group, They became the leaders in the early church. And so what Jesus had modeled for them became their pattern for how they taught people to become radical followers of Jesus Christ. They taught the value and the importance of building relationships, of having and sharing in a life-sharing community. And so I, I want to look at that this morning and discover a little bit about what that looks like. I was in the uh, doctor's office this week. I had to take my uh, dad to see uh, the doctor, and so we waited uh, in this waiting room. Uh, mostly men, a couple of women, and I was by far the youngest person in the room. Okay, Some of you that are a lot younger than me are you know, thinking, that, that, that's impossible, Jeff. But uh, trust me, I was by far the youngest guy in the room. And uh, these older guys, I just kind of sat there, but uh, these older guys, you know, they all kind of struck up some conversations with each other, and uh, along the way there was a bit of laughter as we all waited a long time for anybody to see the doctor. And it was an enjoyable experience sitting there in the waiting room, and I found it a bit of it kind of humorous as they talked with each other but uh, about the kinds of things they talked about. But anyway... Um, you know what I thought, though, as I sat there? I thought, this is, this is nice, and there's some polite conversation, there's some laughter, but this is not, this is not a community. It's not. And in the same way, when we, we just show up here on Sunday, and we sing a few songs together, and you listen to some guy give a boring talk, and then you go home, that's not community. There is something there is something much deeper that Jesus desires for us. There is something much greater that He desires for us. And so today I want to look at a few verses in the book of Acts. And I hope you uh, will take out your Bibles or your phones or your iPad and find your way to Acts uh, chapter 4. And in these few verses we find described the kind of community that I think Jesus intended. I think it's the kind of community that Jesus modeled for the guys who became the leaders of the early church. And so I think it's the kind of community that they lived out. And I think it's the kind of community that Jesus wants us to be a part of as radical followers. So again, let's look at Acts uh, chapter 4, just a few verses starting in verse 32. It's a, it's a, a Now the book of Acts is a book of history, okay? And so really what we're reading here is the history of the early church. And amidst this history is this description of what was happening there and the sense of of life-sharing community that was there. Here's what's written, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of His possessions was His own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, I think when I read that description, just those few short verses, it sounds a little different to me than our culture in America of church hopping and shopping, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like to me when I read this description, the description of people who you know, show up after the worship service starts and leave as soon as it's over and go to their cars and maybe come back a couple of weeks later. You see, I think what is modeled here because it's what Jesus had taught them was something far different than that. I think what Jesus modeled here, a radical follower, would not hop from church to church. They would find a church, they would sink their roots, and they would stay there and they would grow and they would serve together in a sense of community. I, I think that a radical follower, by what's described and modeled here, would come, would come early on a Sunday morning, would stay for a little while afterwards because they, they wanted to meet other people and they wanted to, to get beyond that surface waiting room conversation and begin to build deeper relationships. And I think that they would take that next step of connecting in a life group. Because they would understand the value of sharing life and doing life together and building a deeper sense of relationship. Because I think that's what's modeled here. And, and I think that Jesus understood it, that we need that. If I try to live this radical life by myself as a lone ranger, I, I'm not going to do very well at it. It is challenging. The kinds of things that Jesus invites us to do as His followers, they're challenging. But when I can do it in a community of believers, when I can do it as part of a life-sharing community that I have invested in building relationships with, it is much easier. And I am much more likely to accomplish what Jesus has called me to when I am connected in community. And so I want to, I think that's why uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. In Hebrews 10.25 it says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Do you realize that every day we are a little bit closer to the second coming of Jesus? And every day we have that much less time to accomplish what Jesus has called His followers to accomplish. And so... The mission, the task is serious and we, we need each other. And the writer of Hebrews says you need to come together. You need to build those relationships. Don't neglect it. Don't think it's, it's unimportant. It's important to the task that Jesus has called us to. So I, I want to look for a few minutes today at some common bonds that I think these radical followers of Jesus in the early church had that made it possible for them to be a life-sharing community. And the first one I think is this. They shared a common purpose. They shared a common purpose. Listen again to the first part of verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They they had a goal. They were focused. Verse 33 says this, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Their mission was to tell the story of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible. They were on a life-changing, life-saving mission. And so are we. We have been called to connect as many people to Jesus as we possibly can. We also, as a church, are on a life-saving, life-changing mission that we don't have to do alone. We get to do it together. I don't know if you saw the HBO series a couple of years ago, Band of Brothers. Now, by my talking about it today, let me be clear, this is not an endorsement of the series, nor an encouragement for you to go out and rent it and watch it, okay? It it is uh, pretty graphic, and uh, the language is pretty vulgar. But um, this movie tells the story of Easy Company, and it tells their story from uh, their paratrooper training in Georgia to being dropped behind the battle lines on, at Normandy, and then su- the successive battles that take place. And these guys, who had no relationship really when things start, they are banded together as a group of brothers because they share a common purpose of defeating the enemy. They share a common enemy. They go through extremely challenging and difficult experiences together. And as time progresses on more and more and more, they become a band of brothers together. Do you realize that we are an army of Christ followers? that has a shared mission to share the story of Jesus with as many people as we possibly can to proclaim and live for Jesus all the days of our life. And sometimes this mission that we are on requires sacrifice. And sometimes the mission seems, seems dangerous. But here's the good news. We don't have to do it alone. God has banded us together with brothers and sisters, with a community of believers that we get to share relationally in this mission together. And I am not out there trying to do it all by myself. I have been banded together with you. I need you and you need me. As we strive to try to accomplish this mission together, we have a common purpose. And sometimes I think we lose sight of the fact that we have been called to this common purpose that, that we're so life is so hectic and busy for us that we lose sight of the fact that our purpose in following Jesus. The thing that Jesus put us here on earth for was to help other people connect to Jesus Christ. And we ought to be banded together as we share in that mission. I I think uh, part of the mission that we feel we have been called as a church is to reach our city, our region for Christ. And you know what? Uh, By careers, you know, we are... uh, Doctors and programmers and construction workers and teachers and city employees. But no matter what our personal agenda or ambition, our shared mission eclipses all of that. Because while those may be the things we do to earn a living, the greater calling in our life is this shared mission of telling the story of Jesus and connecting as many people in our city and our region to Him as we possibly can. I shared on our anniversary Sunday our common goal as a part of this connecting people to Jesus to start a second campus in another city in the next uh, two years. And so let me just kind of update you where on where that uh, process is. And, uh, Uh, you know, first, uh, again, some feedback that I hear sometimes are, well, does that mean a whole bunch of people from Crosspoint are going to go to this other city and like we'll never see them again? You know what the reality is? There will probably be a handful of people that initially go to help start the other campus. But we will always remain one church that meets in two places. And in those initial days of this second campus, it may be that some of us at times make the trek to this other campus to help serve there so that we have enough workers and musicians and all those kinds of things. But again, we will always be you know, one church connected together. Where we are in that process is just a lot of research at this point uh, for us. Um, I have uh, made some uh, personal connections in the city that we're considering and just a chance to kind of hang out with those people and ask them about the spiritual climate of their city as we continue to pray about whether or not that is the spot that God is calling us to. And uh, some of our staff are going at the end of April to a conference. And uh, the track that we'll be on in that conference is all, everything that we'll hear in those two or three days is all about multi-site churches and what that looks like. And uh, so that'll be the next step for us to get some education, deeper education about things that we need to do. And that will help us then to lay out some of the next steps. And so it will seem like in these first initial months that things go very, very slowly while a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes. But there will come a a day not too far down the road where things will go much more quickly uh, and much more publicly as we move uh, towards that second campus in the next couple of years. We share a common purpose to connect people to Jesus. The second thing that I noticed uh, in this passage that was their common bond that held them together in this community uh, is talked about in verse uh, 32, the second part of it. It says that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Then jump down to verse 34. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Here's the second thing. They shared with each other generously. I don't know if you've seen the movie I Am Sam. It's several years old now. It's the story of a mentally handicapped father who raises by himself, his very healthy young daughter named Lucy. It is a compelling story. Uh, The father works at a little Starbucks store, making like minimum wage. He hangs out with these three other mentally handicapped guys. And together they sort of are doing life together and they help him with raising Lucy. She's a wonderful young lady in a very healthy environment. And the story goes along though. She is getting ready to go to first grade and her dad realizes she needs shoes for first grade. And so he and his three friends take her to the shoe store. And there is this guy that waits on them. He's relatively patient as they look at a whole bunch of different shoes and all kinds of different styles and fabrics. And they, there's a whole scene there of things that happen as they try to pick out which pair of shoes. And the store clerk stays pretty patient with them until finally they land upon the one pair that's right for Lucy. And her dad says, how much? And the store clerk says $16.19 with tax. So he begins to, to dig around in his pocket, and he realizes he has only $6.25, and he says, my check was short this month because I didn't work every day because I had to go to Lucy's parent-teacher conference. And the store clerk says, you know, I'm sorry, sir, but the cost is $16.19. He says, but I only have six twenty-five, and there is this moment of great nervousness With Lucy looking at her dad, looking at the other men, there are people waiting in line. Without anybody asking them, his three friends begin to reach into their pockets and they pull out their money and together they come up with enough to buy Lucy her pair of shoes and they all walk out of the the store with big smiles on their faces. I think that's a picture of what Jesus intended the church would look like. That when we would see a need among us, we would reach into our own pockets, our own resources, and we would pull out what we could do to help them. And together, we would take care of each other. I think that's a picture of the life-sharing community that Jesus wants us to be part of. And I'm happy and proud to tell you today, it is a great thing to be part of that kind of community here. Where there through our history have been countless number of times where people have reached into their own pockets and pulled out of their own resources to meet the needs of somebody in our, our community here and to help them at a time where they were struggling. You know, I think the, the first step to us being able to live that way is growing to recognize that our possessions are not our own. Did, did you catch that in verse 32? They said that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. I think there's a deeper meaning to that. I think these people understood, like all of us should, that everything that I have, that I think that I own, is not really mine. It's God's. Because He's the one that gave it to me. He gave it to me so I could I could manage it. I could take care of it. But if you're like me, sometimes it is a struggle to remind myself that it's not really mine. I remember one day Brad came to me just to short time after we had started at Cross Point, and he asked me, could we borrow your van for a youth trip? I don't know how I responded outwardly, but inwardly there was suddenly this mental battle that went on. Because I thought to myself to begin with our van, you know, we don't have a lot of really nice things it seems to me, but the van was still relatively new, you know, it wasn't really very dirty, wasn't anything broken in it. And so I'm thinking to myself, you really want to put like a bunch of high school kids in my van? I like that van, you know. But at the same time, there was this other part of me, the Holy Spirit saying, Jeff, what are you acting that way for? Because you know, Jeff, that van is not yours. That van is mine. You know, and if you think you're going to hold on to it so tightly like that, maybe I'll just take it away from you. I I had to go through that mental struggle to be reminded that the van is not mine. My house is not mine. And I think I let Brad use it. I think that side of me won. Because I realized I needed to let go of those kinds of things. And as long as we think it's mine, we will hold on to it tightly. It's not until we get to the point that like these people we can say, my possessions are not my own, that we will really let go of them and be generous towards others. Now, I think this principle of being generous towards others isn't just about our possessions. I think there is a spirit of generosity that goes beyond our possessions to sharing our experiences and to help equip each other to do the mission that we've been called to. Let me illustrate this way. Let me paint two mental pictures for you. The first mental picture is this. Imagine that you're at work, and I hope this actually happens to you. Imagine that you're at work and you become friends with somebody at work, and through the, that, friendship with them, you begin to have some spiritual conversations, and they begin to ask you questions about your faith in Jesus Christ and about the Bible. And there are some of those questions that you think as they are asking them, I don't know the answer. Which, by the way, is a side note, is okay not to know the answer. But you realize in those questions, there is more that I need to know. I feel like I don't need to know. I don't know enough to really guide them in a path toward faith. So keep that one mental picture that we We usually keep separating. And then there is this other mental picture that I want you to have of what happens when we come together here on Sunday mornings. And I hope what happens in your life groups when together we open God's Word and somebody teaches you. And I think what happens in this mental picture is we are taught the Word of God. often we just think about how does this apply to me and my life. And we take it all in as if it is all just for me. And we don't often do a good job of connecting it back to this other mental picture of the fact that, you know what? As I learn, I am being equipped so that I can take what I have learned and share it with somebody else. And I think if we would connect those two pictures together more often, when we would sit in environments where we are being taught, the pen would come out and the notebook would come out because we would be listening from a point of reference that said, I need to learn this in a way that I am going to be able to pass it on to somebody else. If somebody comes to you today and says, I don't know how to pray, what's the best way for them to pray? For them to go to a three-hour class where somebody instructs them about how to pray, or for you to say to them, let me show you how I pray. Or if somebody says, I'm not sure how to read the Bible. Is the best thing for them to have a six-week class that tells them how to read the Bible, or for you to say to them, let me show you how I study my Bible. You see, I think part of the picture of this generous, life-sharing community is that we are generous with our own experiences and what we already have experienced in our walk. And there is somebody that is behind you a few steps. And there probably somebody that is ahead of you a few steps. And we ought to be equipping and training each other so that we are equipped for the mission that we've been called to. There's one more thing that I note here. I think they shared the pleasure of God's grace. Listen again to verse, the second part of verse 33. It, it's spoken so quickly that it almost goes right past you. But it says here about these people that much grace was upon them all. I think, because I heard Kathy share her story that most of you got to hear at the very beginning this morning, if I listen to Kathy tell her story... I really you know what she was talking about. She was talking about experiencing the pleasure of God's grace, experiencing the goodness of God in her situation, demonstrated to her through other people who came around her and supported her and loved her through a very difficult time in her life. That was the pleasure of God's grace. That was the goodness of God at work through other people. And when we are connected in relationship, when we are connected in a life-sharing community, we get to experience that grace too. You see, friends, we're not just a bunch of people hanging out in a waiting room. We are a band of brothers and sisters that God wants us to be connected together relationally to support and to encourage and to help each other accomplish the mission that He's called us to. Radical followers of Jesus Christ value relationship and community. And they take the initiative to get connected in that kind of relationship. And so we're forced to ask those two questions again. Do I believe Jesus? When He taught and modeled the value of building relationships and connecting in community, do I believe what He was teaching? And am I willing to obey? Am I willing as His follower to take the steps that are necessary to connect in relationship and to be part of a life-sharing community and to quit just hanging out in the waiting room and sharing in some polite conversation and some humor, but to really be part of a band of brothers and sisters that are radically following Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for the community of faith that You have placed us in. God, I thank you for how this life-sharing community has shaped my life. God, I thank you for the ways that I regularly experience the pleasure of your grace and goodness through them. And I thank you for the support that comes for all of us as we try to accomplish the mission that you have called us to. It is a challenging mission. It seems risky at times. It requires sacrifice. But God, we don't have to do it alone. Thank you for God, I pray for the people in this room that haven't really connected yet. They're still just hanging out in the waiting room. God, would you move in their hearts today to prompt them, to cause them, to desire to really be part of the band of brothers and sisters. Thank you for how you'll work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.